happy for me? Yes. <laughs> you didn't give me an order of service today. Oh, I, I left it in your door? Wasn't there. Somebody uh, must have taken it. Oh. Uh, there are bad guys around. Well, look up here at the piano. Look who we've got with us. I remember Todd, of course, most of the time fondly. <laughs> he, uh, he's the one who uh, wrote my uh, theme song for my radio program. Where are you, Todd? Is he going down? Yeah, don't rush off the platform. <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm really indebted to him all these years, 20 or better years. And you're that come on? You, you don't need it. You've got plenty of money. You ought to give me some. Yeah, he's. we miss him around here, but these folks managed to do very well, even in his absence. We thank you for being here today, Todd. Uh, something I, I wanted to share with you. I didn't think I'd choke up here, but uh, Ossie and I had a talk the other evening, don't remember how it came up. She, uh, most of you don't know this, some of you do. When we were in Denver, we had a very large church, huge choir, about 120 regularly, maybe twice that on Easter and Christmas, big orchestra and all that. And uh, Aussie always played. Most of you don't even know she can play. And that's her identity. And she was just telling me, she wasn't complaining. She would just say, uh, you know, Jimmy, you get to the place where your identity is just stripped from you. She didn't mean anybody did it. It's circumstances. And the kind of music we do, contemporary music, takes a different skill set. But nevertheless, her eyes, she doesn't have good peripheral vision anymore. And so she's, her skills, it's troublesome and seeing the music. But I was sitting over there listening to him play and I just thought, what a shame that is. Because though she played here many years, you never heard her in her prime. In a riverside, they liked her better than me. <laughs> you say, well, that's a low bar. <laughs> no, they, they love to hear her play. Well, it's good to see you here this morning, all of you. Good to have our guests. Always delighted to have guests. And today, we're continuing our exposition of the Gospel of John, John 8, 25 through 30. I'm going to read it in a minute, but I, I want to... I want to say, as I was saying something on the Internet last night, don't do it now, please. But I'm, I'm used to people getting the point, if I say something, they pull out their, is that so? <laughs> so I'll just tell you, after all this, there's a church. It's a scandal. It really is. It's in Oklahoma, huge church, huge, and about many, many thousands called Transformation Church. 
Guess what they did on Easter? Well, they had Jesus on the cross, only it was a woman. Oh, that's not the beginning of it. Now, you younger people all know what this is. I didn't until I looked it up, just like you do. And they had him up on the platform twerking. That was their Easter music. That, for those who don't know, I was just informed last night, it's sexually suggestive dancing. They thought it was great. That's the mild explanation of it. They thought it was great. Well, that reminded me of why I'm doing the Gospel of John. After about 20 years, doing it again. I don't just pick the messages out of my computer. I do them all over again. John focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. And John wrote it so that you might believe in him. I just see that stuff and I say, by golly, I don't know how long my ministry will go, but it's going to go down. Christ. We're preaching the Word of God and we're preaching Christ. Not all this narcissism and that kind of stuff. And I saw that and I said, this is horrible, but this is what is happening in our country and in our churches. So we're going to hear about Christ. We're going to hear about Him every Sunday. The other night I was watching a documentary, and I'll get to the text on that infamous 1988 Pan Am Flight 101 air disaster over Lockerbie, uh, Scotland. Now, many of you here will remember that. It was taken down by an embedded terrorist bomb. In all, it killed 117 people with the debris scattered over miles. At some point in the documentary, a distressed relative of one of those victims, I presume, vowed angrily, I will never believe in God again. That reminded me of a World War II documentary that I was watching decades ago. Some Jewish victim railed at heaven, if I recall, with his fist. Maybe I didn't. Where is God? How can I believe in him? Well, if you got your ears open, we can hear or see people all the time in harsh circumstances in our world. They blame God for their troubles and they react as if we human beings are the judge and jury and God, to use the English phrase, is in the dock awaiting our verdict as to whether he is worthy of our service. That's so cockeyed. We have things all backwards. God, in his providence, sends or allows all these things, whatever they are, that afflict us, believers and unbelievers alike, in this sinful world. They come upon us for various reasons. I'm not going to delineate them right now, but the Bible's full of those reasons. Just let me say, we humans get things all inverted. In all our interaction with God, 
He, God, is never on trial, and we are never the jury. We are the ones on trial before a holy God. He's the judge and he's the jury, and his verdict will stand. We are being tested in every way and every day and tested by his word. This truth will come out from this passage loud and clear. The context is this in verse 25. Let me read. And they, Jesus' enemies. There was a lot of interaction here. This is just another part of it. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What I've been saying to you people from the beginning. In fact, I have many things to speak and to judge, to determine according concerning you. But he, he's talking about his Father in heaven, he who sent me is true. I think the sense of that word true is real. And the things which I heard from him before I descended to earth, these I'm speaking to the world, not just you, but the whole world. They did not realize this was common for them, that he had been speaking to them about the Father in heaven. Jesus therefore said, this was in code. This was very nebulous to them. When you lift up the Son of Man, that's Jesus, then you will know, you will know that I am he. Let me nuance that a little. The Greek literally says, Egoe me, which means, then you will know I am. That reminds us of Exodus. That reminds us of the very name of God, Yahweh, which means I am. Moses said, when I go to Israel, when I go to the people still back in Egypt, who am I going to tell them sent me? You remember what the Lord said? Tell them, I am sent you. Jesus is speaking in code here. Could be understood as I am the Son of Man. But he's speaking in such a way that if they got their ears on, which they didn't, he is announcing himself as Yahweh of the Old Testament, the Lord. The generic name of God was God. The personal name of God to Israel was Yahweh. Anyway, they really want to coax him into saying something incriminating. That's because they want to bring him up on charges. They're sick of him, sick of this Jesus fellow. He has all this popularity with the multitudes, and they're afraid that's going to get out of hand and get him in trouble with the Romans. They didn't like him anyway. They thought he was just a massive religious fraud. So they were saying to him in this early part of the text, Ah, oh, come on. Let's quit this verbal dancing around the fence post, fella. Out with it. Just tell us plainly, bluntly, who you are. Spell it out. And Jesus answers, in effect, I'm paraphrasing very loosely, yeah, let's do. You folks are a little thick. 
to say the least. I'm the same person, Jesus said, that I've been telling you from the beginning. You're just not getting it. Yet he doesn't take the bait. He feels no need to spell it out again in more explicit terms. You know why? It's the same still today. Because they really don't want to know. They just want him to say something that will get him in trouble with them. Their minds are made up in the negative. He's a fraud. Jesus will not accommodate their foolish thoughts, nor ours. God, so when I say God, in this context, you're talking about the one who is the earthly expression of God. God never panders or accommodates his ways of working to the wishes uh, or the demands of the perverse people. It is not as though he was reluctant to speak. He's never been reluctant to speak to the world. Never. Speak he will. And in fact, he says, verse 26, I have many things yet to speak in your hearing. I have many things to judge concerning you, concerning your responses. You would like to put me on trial, Jesus is saying. Little do you folks understand that whenever you're hearing my word, and that goes for this very morning, whenever you're hearing my word, you, not me, are on trial. Stop right there. You think of that. When you're reading the Bible, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm on trial. When a congregation is hearing God's word, truthfully and faithfully taught, we're on trial. Oh, we should hurry up. I want to get to the restroom before the crowd gets there. Keep it going, God. Keep it going. Don't slow down. No, not another illustration. Just keep winding it. Oh, we got to leave this afternoon. Please don't go to 2 o'clock, preacher. Well, it's the same today. God is taking notice of our attentiveness and our responsiveness to his word. Our actions and reactions tell on us. They reveal our dispositions. Jesus, your dispositions not just toward me. But because of who I am, your whole attitude toward the truth, toward light, toward the Father, who sent me is writ large. We don't think of it often that way, do we? I'm sitting here. I'm on trial. Oh, Mom, it's Sunday. I'm tired. Let's just go to pajama church. Yawn. Oh. Oh, what's wrong with that YouTube thing? Oh, shut it off. I hear the weather's going to be good at the beach today. Let's skip church. Go there. Don't give God his due. We can do that another time. We're on trial.
Jesus goes ahead and he says, the one who sent me is true, he's real. God is light, God the Father he means. And in him there is no darkness nor anything false. Everything you're hearing from me, I heard from him before I came to earth. That's the way it is. And right now it's not looking good for you people. You're not listening. We, the Father and I, are one and the same in essence. There's a lesson here, lessons all over the place. I've said it before because it runs all through this section. Jesus keeps saying it in different ways. Our reaction anywhere in the world, the reaction to Jesus Christ is our reaction to God the Father. I mention that because so many people think, well, I'm pro-God, not so much Jesus. You're kidding yourself. You love Jesus, you love God, the Father. You hate Jesus, you find him distasteful, then you hate his Father. You obey Jesus, you obey God. You reject him, you reject his Father. One and the same for those purposes. So when you say Jesus, don't talk about Jesus as a country and western singer as a cowboy. He is the most serious business in the universe. Somehow that got past them in that day and still gets past people in this day. I've made this point again and again and I never tire of making it. What I'm about to say, it bears repeating Unbelievers, and often they do, I've been in educational circles many years of my life, unbelievers can have great IQs. Gee, they're smart. Multiple PhDs, and I've seen a number of those. But when it comes to spiritual things, you need to understand this because you rub shoulders with them in your workplaces, places like that. When it comes to spiritual things, they're denser than a fence post unless the Spirit of God gives them light. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my ministry services ended. I make my way into the narthex and believers will come up to me. No visible response. And they will just literally shake their head. Pastor Jim, I cannot understand how any non-believer can hear a message like that and not respond to the gospel, not receive Christ. Always have to say it's easy. They've not created an opening for the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter who you are, the Apostle Paul or Moses or whoever it is. If that's not there, the Spirit of God is not working in that heart, they're not going to get it. But they're going to be held accountable because they don't want to get it. Unbelief covers the spiritual eyes like mud cakes. And unbelief exists not because of the lack of compelling evidence but as Jesus told us earlier in John 19, the unbeliever, the non-believer, and if that's you right now, 
I may think you're a delightful person and just on a human level, that may be true. I may enjoy being around you, honestly. We may, in fact, enjoy each other in a weird sort of way. But the problem is you, at bottom, love darkness rather than light. In short, if you don't know Jesus, you are wedded to and enslaved by the allurement of your sins. You're not, you are on trial, not God. It is only when human beings come to the end of themselves, it's only you, when you come to the end of yourself and you grow tired of the whips of your own sin, you grow tired of your anti-God ways, and you find yourself spiritually impoverished in deep need that you become open to Christ. And that's a divine work of grace when that happens. Such is our bondage to sin that we will never get there, get to Christ, without God's saving initiatives to draw us to him. In John 6, Jesus says that, no man will come to me, no man can come to me, except the Father draws him. Well, just think about that a minute. You know, we should all be looking for openings to reach out to those friends and acquaintances that we know are lost. And sometimes we do that a little unwisely. Sometimes we do what I call breaking windows and knocking down doors. And we just try to overpower people with the message. It won't work. It won't work. It never works. It never has worked. You might say, well, I've seen it work. Well, you saw a situation where the Spirit of God was working. My dad and I used to argue a little bit about that. Dad grew up in the old revival era. That was before even I was born. Is back their ways. And I used to see people push doors, break windows. I said, Dad, they ought not do that. He said, well, Jimmy, I don't know about that. He says, I was in a revival meeting, and old Preacher Brown got off the, out of the pulpit. I used to mock him when I was three years old, Preacher Brown. He'd get all hot and heavy and sweaty up there. He was on that end, and I was on this end. Anyway, he got out to a revival meeting, came down the front and says, Jim, it's time. And Dad broke down right there and received Christ. But he did it because the Spirit of God was working, not because Joe Brown was sweating. We can be cool. We need to be alert. We need to be ready. But we don't have to go down and break down people's doors. Spirit of God will do his work. Well, the discourse continues. And then Jesus says something curious. But they're going to get it, he says. When you lift me up, he says in verse 28, when you lift me up, what's that about? The words anticipate his execution on a Roman cross. That's just around the corner. It's another instance of what you find a lot of in John, what we call dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is where there's a joke or something on. 
And you know, they know, she knows, he knows. But one important party to that doesn't know. This crowd didn't know what Jesus was talking about. John's gospel is full of this. When you lift me up, refers to his being hoisted on the cross. However, it is much more profound of that. They didn't know. They were about to get him. They wanted him out of the way. They wanted to bump him off. And in conjunction with the Roman authorities, they worked together to finally get Pilate to say, okay, you kill him. Oh, good. Pilate gave him soldiers, and they went out, and they started abusing him terribly. And then they took him up on Golgotha, and they dropped that post in the ground with those crossbars with two thieves on the other side. Pluck. Never a whimper from him. They lifted him up. Jesus said, when you lift me up, you're going to get it. You're going to know. What's he mean? Well, he means, first of all, that there's going to be there's going to be an after story. And you read the book of Acts, it came. The Spirit of God was poured out on the 50th day, the day afterward, Pentecost. And then everybody was stunned by all the supernatural effects. And Peter preached, and thousands of these people, many of them probably were there at the foot of the cross or roundabout. They said, oh, God Almighty, what have we done? What have we done? And they repented. And many in Jerusalem came to know him for who he really was. When you lift me up, you're going to know. You're not listening now. You will know. But he's talking about something else. Down the road, down past us, you and I. Down the road, in the last of the last times, he's going to come. And Zechariah said, those who crucified him will mourn. They will understand that this one that they despised, you will understand, everybody will understand, that they crucified the Lord of glory. Now here he comes. The trump of God sounds, splits the heavens all around the globe. And they will weep over the one, the Jewish people, that they rejected. They will know who I am. For I am, I am Yahweh. Yeah, they're going to get it. Nothing is lost. Well, the text moves on. Verse 29. He who sent me is with me. Talking about the Father. He has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. There's a connection there. Jesus, in every situation, said or did whatever he was moved by the Father to do. He was never off key, ever. 
we talk about that a minute. Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father in me. What's that mean? It means that there's such a perfect unity and unison between the Father in heaven and himself that when one acts, the other acts. When one speaks, the other speaks. Count on it. Now, that's partially true at another level. Jesus says, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And what about us? Do you realize the one of the effects of the new birth of regeneration is that you are in Jesus, who is in his Father. You are, it's not a figure of speech. You're organically connected. His Spirit dwells in you. Now, wait a minute. There is a bit of a problem because the unity between us and the Son and the Father is not as perfect as between He and the Father. That's absolutely perfect. But with us, we are still in the flesh. We are sometimes a bit off key. I mean, maybe you are. I'm not. <laughs> We're always a little bit off key. We don't rhyme perfectly with the Son and the Father because we don't always get it right. We step in puddles. And we uh, get a little mud on our hands. Jesus said one reason the agreement between he and the Father was so perfect was because he always did everything in agreement with his Father. Oh, there's a cause and effect thing. So, think that out. We are in Christ, but not in the same perfection as he is in the Father. And consequently, when, when we sin, we mess it up a little bit. And we don't have the same power, the same effect as between he and the Father. What I'm saying to us is the closer we walk with him, the more in agreement, the more conformity we walk with Christ. The more his spirit fills us, the more his spirit drives us, the more surrendered we are to him. And so you, simple believer that you and I are, you are filled with the spirit of Christ the more obedient and submissive you are to him, the more you reflect that union, the more the people in our church, the more people there are in here who are believers, who walk in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer, the more corporate power and energy there is in what we do. I hope you see that. That's a very important perspective. Well, I want to say to all of you, read verse 31st. He spoke these things. We'll get around to this next week. And many came to believe in him. Over here was a whole massive rejection. But over here, 
seated in that multitude were those who were listening. They were listening with a different kind of ears. And they say, I get him. They weren't saying, he gets me. <laughs> they were saying, I get him. I get him. And they believed. Let's just use this group. Let's use this group over here. I want to pick on them. Let's just say this group over here was part of that mass that said they believed on him. But yet even in that group, there was a phenomenon that we still see today. A lot of people make superficial professions of faith. We baptize here a lot of people, especially over the last three years. Some of them you see, some of them you haven't seen since. What happened? Well, evidently, we don't know for sure, the clock's still running. Evidently, some need drove them to receive Christ, to believe on him just like these. And then they peter out like a July before a sparkler. And they're gone. You see it all the time. You see it, in, you see it right here in this text. You're about to see it next week as I follow on. Some of them didn't believe in him. They petered out very shortly. They didn't show up for work. They didn't join the war. Some influence or other just took the spirit out of them. They went away. But I want to say to you, if anyone is here and you don't know Christ, he's watching, he's listening, he's seeing. He said who he is, I am, and I am is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the God of the Bible. And he invites you in his grace and his mercy to be done with your sins. He will forgive them. It doesn't matter what kind of person you've been in the past. Oh, it matters where you and I are concerned. We have the effects and consequences of those things that go with us. Yeah, we have stuff that we can't unload, but we can have forgiveness. And you can have forgiveness, but you have to listen to Jesus. Who is he? He is the great I am. Don't mess with Jesus. God. My dad used to say, I've told you that. Jimmy, don't mess with God. Don't mess with him. The meter is running. I don't know exactly when it's going to run out, and I don't know when it's running too. Don't make those professions. But I know the world is getting dimmer. The light of God is getting dimmer. And I know life in this planet is getting grimmer. I don't know whether we're all watching and seeing and understanding. But if there was ever a day when you need to turn to Christ, it's today. Believe in him, be forgiven, be saved, and have a part in the future. You don't have a future if you don't have Jesus. Well, if you live tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, 
Oh, I had a future. Not really. You were like a snake with its head cut off. Still wiggly. You're dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. So don't mess around with God. He is real. He is true. And he's the real deal. What have I got to do? Well, what you've got to do is do what anybody, if I see a house and I've decided I'm tired or need to get out of the one I'm in, I find me a real estate person. And I say, uh, I'd like to buy that house. And then we say yes. The price is such and such. Say yes. Well, the price in your case before God is repentance, what I call the first step of faith, and trust in who he is and what he's done for you. It can happen right there in that seat this moment. You don't have to sing or dance. You don't have to even attend a membership class. That's membership in our church. That's not membership in Christ. A lot of people are members of churches. They don't know Jesus from a bunny rabbit. You got to say yes to him. And then if you say yes to him, I said at the altar years ago, I'll say yes. Years ago, I said yes. But then when I said yes to her, we left the church and every day thereafter, I voluntarily and happily said, she is my wife. Well, you go out of the world and you say, he is my savior. He is my Lord. You own him. And you put one foot in front of the other and walk after him. That's a life of faith. But tell somebody, tell me, tell some of our staff, tell them, I've received Christ. It'll give us all a big surge. We want to hear it. We want to see it. So that's our invitation to you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his coming. We thank you, our Father, that the Son of Man is really the Son of God also. He is the God-man. He is God in the flesh. And help us not to be blind and to be stupid, our Heavenly Father, but to receive him, own him as our Savior, not just to come to church and walk out and say, oh, huh. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.